Thank you, Carrie. Hello again, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the pastor here at Zhao and Katie Church. We are rounding out our series, Do You, which we've been in for quite a while now, uh, contemplating all this fall what it means to be ourselves, to be the people that God has called us to be. When there are so many pressures to conform in other ways, to keep our heads down, to not fully engage the broadness, the expansiveness of who we are. And today we round out our series by talking about being still, which really is something you can only do when you can settle into who you are, right? When we are not frantically trying to be something else or to control the world around us, to earn our love. But those are things that we do out of fear, am I right? Has anybody ever read the book Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? All right, a couple of nerds. All right, I love y'all. I've read all of them, all five in the trilogy. <laughs> so uh, so for, for my nerds out there, anybody know what it says on the cover of the actual Hitchhiker's Guide in the book? Don't panic. Don't panic. <laughs> the cover of this book says don't panic, which someone said is the best advice you can give to human beings, basically in any situation, don't panic. But have you ever been told, don't panic? It's really scary, right? Like, has anyone ever told you, calm down? Has that ever been calming, like ever in the history of time? Not in my experience. And usually that's because it's in situations of deep fear, anxiety, and panic. Oftentimes, the command, calm down, or don't panic, comes from a very anxious, panicked person, right? And so we just kind of generate this panic among us. And yet, one of the most common phrases that we have in our entire book of scripture, coming from God's own self or from divine messengers, is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It appears in scripture over 300 times. Do not be afraid. I could just, my whole sermon, I could just say all the instances of do not be afraid and then call it a day, right? So this Herculean task of, of do not be afraid in the midst of fear seems essential to encountering God and to being changed by God. Some of us know the Christmas story and we're about to hear it more and more loudly in our culture in the coming weeks. In that story, God tells Mary, do not be afraid. God tells Joseph, do not be afraid. God tells the shepherds, do not be afraid. Now, actually, in all of these cases, it's God's messengers, God's angels saying that, which some have said is evidence that angels are just really scary looking. Hey, don't be afraid. I know, don't be afraid. But we're also talking about people who are, are part of God's seismic changes in the world, God's plans, who are encountering big and sometimes terrifying events that alter the course of history and alter human understanding of God's love for us, God's provision for us, and God's reconciling work. And so if God is doing all of that with us, and God's first instruction to us at every turn is do not be afraid, we better take that seriously. That comes from God in scripture, that also comes from prophets and poets. 
Elsewhere, alongside it, there is an even more frustrating command. Be still. And here, be still is paired with that idea of do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Hey, I know everything's falling to shambles around you. Hey, I know that everything feels terrifying. Just don't be afraid. And by the way, while you're at it, be still. These are incredibly, incredibly counterintuitive commands. Anybody here um, familiar with fight or flight? Yeah, this human instinct, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of people who are deeply connected to this sense, right? Fight or flight. When we're afraid, the last thing we want to do is let go of our fears and be still. Under stress, our bodies tense, ready to spring into action one way or another, either to fight whatever danger is coming our way or to flee from it as fast as we possibly can. So the act of being still in the midst of danger requires the same thing as eradicating fear, which is a deep and abiding trust. And this is what God is saying, the prophets and poets are saying when they say, do not be afraid and be still. They are commanding trust. Before we move on, I want to I wanna add one little piece here. Fight or flight, a lot of us are familiar with. Has anybody heard of fight, flight, or freeze? Okay, so we're starting to understand a little bit more about human beings, too, that another way that we respond um, to feelings of danger is to just entirely shut down. And on the surface, that looks a lot like being still, but this terrified freezing, that shutting down, that's not what we're talking about here. There's no trust in that. In fact, that's a mixture of fear and despair. And so when we are um, encountering these commands of God's, do not be afraid and be still. One of the ways we know that we need to hear that, I'm always looking for cues in my life, right? When I'm trying to listen to God, I'm like, okay, well, when do I need to hear these words of comfort? Anytime you're, you're really amped up where you're like ready to fight about it, Anytime your panic gets you to the place where you're like, I just want to get out of here. Or anytime that you just shut all the way down and you're freezing. That's when you need to hear the word of God. Do not be afraid. Be still. Be still. So, so these clues that we can kind of pay attention to, these are moments that we need to hear these encouraging words of God. One of the most famous ways this appears in scripture, this combo, is in Psalm 46, verse 10. And it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Trust, right? Trust that I am God and you are not. Trust that there is a God and I am that God and I love you. Be still, find an inner place of confidence in me and in my love, in the midst of all of that fear. And that's all lovely and well to say in a poem, which is what the Psalms are, right? Oh, it's so beautiful. Be still and know that I am God. But like, come on, you're going to try and tell me that in the midst of an actual crisis, God's best advice is like, don't be afraid and be still? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we get that from this passage today. So we're in the book of Exodus today, which contains one of the most important stories of, uh, of the history of God's love for us and the history of our trust 
in God. And uh, our, main, our main kind of actor here is Moses. Now Moses is one of the biggies. In fact, Moses is so important that um, the Gospel of Matthew, which talks about the birth of Jesus, it's one of the tellings we have of the birth of Jesus, that writer tries to write the birth of Jesus in a kind of way to say, hey everybody, I know you thought Moses was great, but wait until you see this Jesus character. He's like Moses, only better. So you know that if Jesus is writing Moses' coattails, Moses is like a pretty big deal. So this story, we see Moses in all of his glory. He's raising staffs, he's parting the waters, he's escaping Egypt. But more than any of that, right now, in this little clip, he's dealing with a terrified group of people. He's leading God's genuinely and legitimately frightened people through probably the most harrowing journey of their lives. They're fleeing an army here, um, one of the most powerful armies in the world at the time, and it's an army that had enslaved them for generations. So the Israelites, these are the people that Moses is leading, and you may hear, hear terms like Israelites, Hebrews, and Jews. All of those terms refer to the same group of people, technically throughout different points in history. I'm going to call them the Israelites today. But it's, it's the group of people, God's people, God's chosen people, that have been enslaved by Egypt for generations. And so God sends Moses. Now how Moses got there is awesome and complicated, and if you want to know more about that, you can either read the book of Exodus or watch the 1998 Disney movie, Prince of Egypt. They're both flawed, they're both good. There are actually lots and lots of tellings of this story because it's so beautiful and so powerful. Um, but, but this story, but that's, you know, so Moses is, as a figure has all of this history, but he has come through much to get where God has called him to be. And he comes in contact with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the one over Egypt who is controlling um, the Israelites, who's, uh, you know, and all of Egypt is enslaving um, God's people. And so Moses and, and Pharaoh have already had their showdown at this point in the story. The plagues. People know the plagues? I, I remember being in a Sunday school class once where they would give a candy bar to anybody who could name all ten. I failed. I knew there were bugs. That's, you know, as far as I got. But they have, Moses and Pharaoh have this kind of back and forth, right? Um, and there's pressure mounting on Pharaoh to let, let my people go. And so Pharaoh does. Pharaoh relents after the 10th plague. And the Israelites are fleeing in the middle of the night because it's like, okay. Because Moses already negotiated this with Pharaoh once. And Pharaoh said yes, and then took it back. And so the, the people are like, okay, well, we got to skedaddle. We got to get out of here. So they're fleeing in the middle of the night, um, but they think that maybe they're home clear. And actually, another really cool part of this story is that God is with them in a really visible and tangible way. God goes before them in this pillar of cloud or smoke or something to lead them by day. And then at night, it burns like fire. So there's a pillar of fire by night that God is leading God's people out, um, out of slavery, out into freedom. But they're not there yet. And so they're fleeing. And, and all of a sudden, they get to a stopping point there at the Red Sea. They can't go through it. It would take a very long time to go around it. And just at that moment, 
they realize that Pharaoh has changed his mind and Pharaoh is coming for them. Now, Pharaoh isn't, isn't traveling as lightly as the, as the Israelites are. He brought all of his army. But the Bible says that Pharaoh got 600 of his best chariots and then all the rest of the chariots in Egypt just for good measure. And so he's got this entire army coming against the people of God who are, are you know, and these are, this is an army against families with children and, um, and all their possessions trying to find a way out. So they know that if they stay there, they'll die. And if they try and cross, they'll die. And if they turn back, they'll die. And so they're panicking, right? This is a legitimate thing. They're saying, we don't know whether to fight or flee because all it feels like is that the army is going to crash in on us and kill us. And logic is with them on this. And they haven't seen the prince of Egypt yet because it doesn't come out till 1998, so they don't know how the story ends. So they are absolutely panicked for their lives. And Moses says the weirdest thing. He starts with, don't be afraid, which is ridiculous. And then he says, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then this is the best bit. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. Keep still? In their minds, that's the one surest way to die. And yet, this is the command. And God makes a way where there is no way. Literally, makes a way where there is no way. God, through Moses, parts the waters of the actual sea, and they walk. They walk into the sea, where there was no way, there is now a way, and God has prepared it for him. God, your Lord, will fight for you. You have only to keep still. Now, this is weird for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is God is saying, keep still. And then, immediately afterward, says, send the Israelites forward. So God is simultaneously commanding through Moses to keep still, and to move. Thanks, God. And this is one of the clues that we have, that that stillness is not actually about inaction. That that stillness, that trust, can be a part of participating in what God is doing. That the way that God makes where there is no way may involve us, but it is not ours. It is not our fight to fight God will fight for you. You have only to keep still and also potentially move forward. And this is that weird, that weird intersection of our material existence, the realities that we face, the armies that are bearing down on us, the sea that is blocking our path, and that spiritual truth that God is with us, whether by pillar of cloud and fire or parting the seas, or that simple, still, quiet voice that says, I am here, I am with you, I will fight for you. 
And those things kind of blend and merge together. They crash together in us. And we have a choice. Do we deny that and try and fight for ourselves? Or do we trust in stillness that our Lord will fight for us? Richard Foster said, the assurance of faith is the conviction that anxious self-securing does not work. Faith is quiet confidence which is decisive for being safe and well in the world. He references that passage, that be still and know that I am God. And he says, we are often so frantic today, running this way and that to secure our finances, our job prospects, our children's futures. But instead, God calls us to quietness. In quiet and in trust, we will find our strength. Where does our strength come from? Where does our help come from? Each of you is caught between an army and a sea. So what will you do? Will you try and fight knowing that you don't have it in you to do that? Will you try and flee knowing that there really is nowhere to go? Will you freeze, shutting down in despair? Or can you find it somewhere inside of you, that little kernel of trust and hope, that tiny piece of stillness that resides in your body because God gave it to you? And will you make your home there? Will you let the Lord fight for you? If only you will be still. We're going to practice today. I'm going to invite the band up. So much of what we've been talking about this fall is not talent or, or given to us or natural, it's practice. We have to practice doing us the way God intended. We have to practice cultivating authenticity. We have to practice taking risks. And in the same way, we have to practice stillness. This is not something that comes naturally or easily to us because at its core, it is about trust. And so I'm going to invite you to be still with me for a few minutes. I told you we would return to that passage from Psalms. It's a beautiful refrain. When you're seeing those clues in your life, when you're sensing your need to fight or flee or freeze, this is something that you can come back to. That phrase, I'll repeat it again, is be still and know that I am God. And so I'm going to lead you in a little bit of a meditation on that. I'm just going to repeat these words, and I'm going to simplify them down and down and down. And so as we do that, I want to invite you to start by just taking a few breaths, 
feel the movement of God in this place through your lungs and into the rest of your being. Breathe out anything that will hold you back from finding that quiet stillness. And meditate with me on the following words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Amen.